All right. Tonight we're going to be looking at one of the Beatitudes. Pastor Todd had spoke a while back on mentioning uh, in one of his messages about going in and really studying the Beatitudes. And coincidentally, I had been reading on that that Friday, and he said it the Sunday. So I was like, okay, this sounds like something the Lord may want to do. And as I was reading this, when I, I just stayed at poor in spirit, and, and I really feel that this could possibly go into a, a series or, or, or whatnot, but we're just going to take one right now. Because the, 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 the Beatitudes are one of the greatest teachings that Christ ever gave. Humility and blessing are the underlying tones that was really taught as a rebuke to the Pharisees. When you really read it in its context, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's, I mean, you read it, it's like the words of life are leaping off of the page. But when you realize what prompted this, you, you, you end up saying like, well, you go, Jesus. Look at him. Because he was addressing something that was very rampant during that time. It was the, the, the Pharisees had a very hard doctrinal stance when it came to the things of God. And what it did was it kept a lot of people out of the kingdom. When you read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's really the entire Sermon on the Mount. But if you look at the Beatitudes, you see that Christ gives eight prophetic blessings to every believer. And so I want to look at being blessed or the poor in spirit. Now, you got to understand the Pharisees were like the spiritual sheriffs. They would walk around. They would, they would look for sin everywhere that they could find it. They would drag people in front of Jesus. And Jesus thunders back with these teachings. And this is how we, we know that they were actually in the crowd. Because we'll get down a little, a little later and see in verse 20 and 21. But I, I want to look briefly about what he was saying. You see, the Pharisees refused to acknowledge their sin, much less mourn over it. They were not poor in spirit. In fact, they thought that they were the cream of the crop. They were overbearing with people. They didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness because they thought that they were righteous. They were not merciful. In fact, they promoted the death penalty on all kinds of sins. They would drag people before Jesus. They were not peacemakers. In fact, they were troublemakers, even stirring up crowds against Jesus himself. When you look in, G in, in, in verse 20, there is all of the Pharisees here. There's a group of people here. There's, there's just life going all, all on during that time. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now imagine you're a Pharisee and you're sitting there like, oh, he just, he just called us out. And then when you get, and Jesus didn't mix words because when you get to verse 21, he says, you heard it said. Now, where do you think they heard it said? The Pharisees. They were walking around teaching. So the point is, Jesus did not mix words, and he was very direct on fixing the problems that plagued society. So in the midst of this entire storyline, Jesus gives one of the most beautiful teachings, and it is a source of blessings for you and I. Now, imagine this scene. 
This is a picture of, from the Mount of Beatitudes. It's a place that's just off of the Sea of Galilee. They actually built a church there. It's absolutely stunning and beautiful. We sat there one day when we went to Israel and, and read our Bibles on this mountain. And I can see it so clearly as the wind was blowing, the grass was tall, and you could just see it swaying back and forth. And I could just see the master as he exits the boat and climbs up, because the Bible says he went up the mountain. So he walks up the mountain, and he is greeted by a crowd of people. Some of the Pharisees, some were people that were really trying to understand the kingdom of God. And Jesus lays out one of the greatest teachings of all time. Now, before I get into it, I just want to say that these are descriptive of all Christians, not a select few, not the super spiritual. This is something that we should all have in our lives. And number two, we don't demonstrate these to the fullest obviously, because we struggle with the flesh. But the Holy Spirit will produce these things in our lives if we're yielded to him. So in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, let's read it. If you have a copy of God's word, if not, it'll be on the screen. It says, and when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, opening his mouth, He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, we just come right now in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, I I just ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach. Lord, I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest on your people. Father, that they would grow in the knowledge and power of your word and of your name and of your spirit. God, we honor you tonight. And Father, we thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen and amen. Now when it says when Jesus sat down, he opened his mouth to teach. That means he declared a thing. It wasn't like a that, that word is not just a little, okay, well, guys, just gather around. and No, he declared it. He was saying, this is so. This right here is the kingdom of God. Now think about the very voice that called Lazarus out of his tomb. Could, I am so amazed that I would love to sit under the teaching of Jesus. And we get to do that with the word of God. Every time we read the word of God, he is teaching us. But could you imagine having been there on that grassy slope, hearing the very word of God coming out of the mouth of God? He says poor. It's a, it's a Greek word, uh, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. I'm with you, Pastor Todd. I can't speak Greek. <laughs> but the point of it, this word means totally destitute and helpless. That's what it means. It doesn't mean financially poor. It means you're poor spiritually. You have nothing whatsoever that you can bring to God that God would say, oh, I'll take that. That's what he's acknowledging. He's he's acknowledging that blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, the Pharisees came and beat them down with rules, so they were already poor in spirit. But the Pharisees were not poor in spirit. So Jesus is able to address two thought processes through this entire teaching. Now, imagine, imagine the feeling of feeling totally helpless, 
totally, like, every time you tried to do something, the Pharisees said, oh, that's not good enough. God won't acknowledge that because you did this, 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 and this. Or you're not following us. You're not under the right teaching. All of these things. So they were beat down spiritually. And here comes Jesus, like a breath of fresh air, declaring, blessed are you who feel the way you feel right now. It goes beyond the good old boy complex. That everybody gets a ribbon Christianity. It's one of these things like if you have a mental ascent of, of God, you're in. But you had to come into the kingdom of God, you must be poor in spirit. You can't go into God with your own righteousness and say, hey, God, why don't you go ahead and take this righteousness and mix it with yours. And man, watch what happens to the kingdom of God. Bless God, I'm here. I showed up. You can't go into the kingdom that way. But think about this. When you look at coming into the kingdom, this is the first step in. You have to acknowledge that I'm poor in spirit. That I have no righteousness to bring to God. What could you bring to God that's righteous aside from Christ? Nothing. I mean, if you look at the law, if you think a certain way, you broke the law. And then you got to keep it 24-7 all of your life. And even if you, by some chance, could do that, which it cannot be done, you still got an inherited sin nature at the fall that we have no way out of. It's called original sin. So Christ has to pay that penalty or we pay it. And if we pay it, we pay it separated from God. Because you got to understand there are good things that people do. You, you could say poor in spirit. Well, that, is that humble? Well, there are people that don't serve God that are very humble. That would seem poor in spirit. They could just have a low self-esteem. But that's not poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is recognizing yourself aside from Christ. So I want everybody to understand that. And then once you come into the kingdom, it's having a self-awareness of being poor in spirit. Now, you might say, how does that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at the Pharisees. They, they knew the things of God. They did the things of God. But they totally rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They had self-righteous pride. So the first point that I want to bring out is point number one, being poor in spirit is having a self-awareness. Having a self-awareness. So you have a self-awareness before you come into Christ. That means I know that I need, I need the Lord to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So now I'm born again. Now that you're born again, do you get puffed up in spiritual pride? Absolutely not. You still continue self-awareness. Look what it says in Romans 10, 3 through 4. For they did not understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of righteousness, uh, uh, their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made white, right with God. It's simple belief in what Christ did for you at Calvary. Okay, but it's not the mental thought. It's not just, okay, I know that. Your life will now produce a lifestyle that declares that. 
That's the difference. It's not just praying a prayer. It's acknowledging yourself. It's acknowledging what Christ has done for us. And then it's walking it out for the rest of your life. And what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to produce these Christ-like activities in ways in your life. So, just so when you get saved, you don't become, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Bless God, I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. You know, just walk around in that mentality because now you're drifting away into Phariseeism. And what happens is that's when we start looking and judging people. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't do what they do. Sister so-and-so does this, but I don't do what they do. That is getting away from being poor in spirit. So, see, there's a poor in spirit before and there's a poor in spirit after. Listen, it's, it's, a, it's always evaluating yourself. It's evaluating your spiritual condition. Because you know what a lot of people do? They, they come to the Lord, they get saved, and then they, they just kind of hang out. Well, I'm saved, bless God. I'm, I'm going to heaven. And they never allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work and produce righteous living in their life. So what happens is they stay on the sideline and they get bitter because they see people progressing in their life. And they're saying, well, well, well you, you know, they must be doing this and that. And they, be, and they get real critical. That's how you can tell that you're not poor in spirit because criticalness begins to rise up on the inside of you. And nobody likes to be around a critical Christian. Amen. <laughs> now, think about this. We have people today that feel they have no need for Christ. They have no need to be right with God, right? There, we come across people like that all the time. So once again, you have to be poor in spirit to recognize that. So I would encourage you, if you're not born again, that means it, this might be your first time coming to church. And you say, man, I, I, I felt something I haven't felt before. It was, I felt the presence of God, you know, but I really need to come to the end of myself and acknowledge that, I know I'm not right with God. Only you can do that. And I want to give you a time at the end of the service to pray and ask the Lord to receive, receive his, his righteousness in your place. Okay? So let's look at a, a good example of, of what I believe Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. It says, then Jesus told this story. Listen to this. It says, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. That, that just reeks. <laughs> he was doing good things, doing right things, but look at, the, look at what it produced. Okay, now keep going. But the tax collector stood a distance and dared not even lift his eye to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner 
not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, the blessings come in humbling yourself in God. Not just being a humble human being. Humbling yourself in God. Those, the, the whole walk is living outside of yourself, but living in Christ. You got that? Living like out destitute. I'm, Lord, I know that there is nothing that I can do, but in Christ, I can do all things. So it's knowing your position in being in Christ that empowers you to do everything that you need. And it's everything that God honors. It's everything that God requires. It's everything that God applauds because it's done in the name of Jesus. You can feed the homeless in, 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 in your own name, in your own organization. And you will get applause from men, but it will not get applause from God. And our life needs to be a life that is lived where all we desire to do is make God God smile and please God and please the kingdom of God. So godly practices don't make you poor in spirit or, or, or saved because a lot of people go through the, the practices. They go through doing things. Listen, if you hang your hat on religious acts, pride will most certainly spring up because that becomes your measuring stick. It's your measuring stick for your own life. You say, well, I read three chapters today. I did this. I did that. And it becomes the measuring stick in which you measure yourself to someone else. Does everybody understand that so far? Good. I figured you would. Now, listen what it says. He stands afar off. He, he comes into the, into the temple and he probably just makes a way and he's just sitting in the back. He knows he's hated by society. He knows he's hated by the Jewish people. He's the guy that says, man, if I go to church, the, 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 the roof's going to cave in. But not in an excusable way to not go to church. But he really sees himself in the light of the, the glory of God. He literally see like, I know the life that I'm living. And when he walks into the temple, he says, man, God is holy. But you got the tax, you got the Pharisee that walks in, just kicks his feet up. I do all these right things. I feel right. I feel spiritual. And that turns God's stomach. But this is what God would say to the one that comes to the back and just kind of sits sits there and says, man, God could crush me right now. You know what God would tell you? Welcome in. Come in to my presence. Because this is what he tells us in Isaiah 118. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. God's not mad at you, ready to crush you. If that was the case, he would have wasted Jesus. He sent Jesus to pay for that penalty. See, we have to understand that God is holy, that all he can accept is perfection. That's what makes Jesus so valuable. If we preach it less, then it, it brings the value of Christ down. It's like, okay, well, 
thank you, Jesus, I appreciate it, but I'm kind of good already. But when you see it in the light of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done, it humbles you. It makes you realize I'm blessed because I'm poor in spirit in light of Christ. Remember, it says that he wishes that none should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge. He says this in Isaiah, but to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So you may say, God won't even look at me. Yes, he will. God is looking to the one who is broken, to the one who is sorry, to the one who is struggling, to the one who bondage has them and is trying to squeeze the life out of you. God is saying, look up here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to deliver you. I'm here to empower you. That's the gospel. It literally means that that person that is crippled or maimed in the spirit. See, it comes through self-evaluation. Now think about this. It blew me away when I, when I understood how this guy looked at himself. He said, be merciful to me, the sinner. Like he didn't say a sinner. There was no vowels in the Greek. He was, he was saying, I know I'm the worst. I know I'm the worst. And to have that type of mentality, this is what the Jewish thought was. I deserve to drink every ounce of the cup of wrath that God has for me. That's what he said when he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. He acknowledged, I am the worst of the absolute worst. And look how Christ viewed that. He said he went away justified. Now you may say, God doesn't have a cup of wrath. Revelation 14, 9 and 10. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or upon his hand, that's in the future. It says he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented by fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. Now, I read that for a reason. It's the law of sin and death. You sin, it's eternal damnation. There's no way of getting around it. There's no way to dress it up. That's a biblical fact. But here is the most powerful thing, and it brings me to point number two. Poor in spirit brings the cup of grace, which is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it says, Luke 22, 41 and 42. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down to begin to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not, this, not my will, but thy will be done. What happened at the cross is that Jesus took that cup and drank the full wrath of God in our place. So what happened is it was settled. Sin was dealt with. In your own life, if you choose to receive Christ, that cup goes on your account. If not, that cup is awaiting for you at the end of time. So with that being said, we just had communion. That is a reminder of the greatest gift that you and I can get, and that is the entry to the kingdom of God through the cup of suffering that Jesus Christ drank upon himself. And then it says, and he will not drink of it again until we enter into the kingdom. There is a day coming, 
And we talked about it Sunday when we will stand before God, we will sit at the table, and we will toast to the master, the king of kings and lord of lords, and we will, praise God, absolutely, and we will be able to thank God face to face. I cannot wait to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you got a lot of people here, and I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters, but I would just like to tell you personally, thank you for dying in my place. You are my master. You are my king. I thank you for this crown, but you deserve it, and I will spend the rest of eternity at your feet, worshiping you and honoring you if you allow me to. And you know what he's going to say? You don't have to stay at your feet. Stand up. Let me give you a hug because here's our Lord. Here's our master. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a friend of all friends, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Man, I just wish you understood (laughs) what's in me right now. (laughs) Praise God. The glory of God, the presence of God, the name of Jesus gets you through every day, every suffering, every sorrowful time when you can understand that the king of kings is for you, that he has made a way where there seemed to be no way. When you were sitting in debauchery, in sin, if you've been delivered from a lot and you realize that those bondages are no longer there, but in its place is glory and in its place is grace, how can you not be excited to to just sit down and worship God, to, to worship the king of kings, to enter into a service like this and say, you know, what for the next hour and a half I get to sit under the presence of God I get to hear teaching from the gospel from the holy word of God and I get to feel his presence that's what he died to give us relationship not religion they already had religion (laughs) all right Romans 8 1 and 1 through 4 there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ This is what it says, for the law of the spirit of life has made us free from the law of sin and death. It says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, there's a law of sin and death. It's an operation right now. It's an operation in our families that don't want to receive Christ. But even more so, if we open our mouth, if we live in front of people, and they begin to say, man, I I want what you have. You can tell them there is a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that totally nullifies the law of sin and death. That means you don't have to worry about dying separate from God. You can, you can know that when, I, when my heart stops, I will stand in the presence of God, not barely have gotten there. You know, oh, I hope God accepts me. He accepts you because of Christ. So you are right, right now before God, justified just as if you have never sinned. That's how God sees you. You may not see yourself that way. You might not see your neighbor or your wife or your husband that way. But it's, it's the justification of God. It's right standing with God. Amen. Then you come over here and you have your daily life and living. That's sanctification. That's the grace of God that empowers you to live. You have good days, bad days. You blow it, right? 
Am I the only one walked into the <laughs> I know, I know people here deal with things on a daily basis. But you have the power of God ruling and reigning in your life. The problem is our disobedience to the leading. The Holy Spirit tells you, hey, don't say that. And we like, but I want to. I, had my, I didn't have my coffee this morning. Whatever reason we give. And if we would just pay attention to, those, to, to that still small voice, we would begin to sense, thank you, God. I see you more in my life. I, I, I experience you more in my life. And that's, what we, that's, that's, our, that's the goal. The more that we experience God, the more in love we fall with him, the more we want to serve him, the more we want to tell others, the more we want to do things for the kingdom of God. But the more that we get in the flesh, the more we, life just begins to beat us down. Satan comes and says, God don't love you. But all you have to do is say, I know that Christ paid my penalty. I, I can look at the cross and know that God loves me. See, a greater revelation of God comes a greater sense of what pleases him and displeases him. That's the beauty of transformation. Now, look at, it, look at Isaiah. Isaiah, I mean, that dude had a book named after him. But when he had a revelation of, of God Almighty and sitting in all of his glory, he looked at himself and said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people that are unclean also. So if you think about it, look at, look at the prodigal son. He was off away. That guy should have been the least likely guy to get the robe in the ring. I mean, the older brother was in there doing everything that, that, he, that he deemed righteous. You see, because that's the problem with, with Christian folk. <laughs> you could get, you get so judgmental on people and their sin, but here's what it looks like. Why can you do that and I can't? I wish I could be sinning like you, but if I can't, you can't. That's not coming from a poor in spirit mentality. That's not self-awareness. Self-awareness is, I don't want to judge this guy because I know me. I know my thoughts. I know I need grace. I know I need mercy. You know what that does? That positions you to say, man, I, I need the grace of God. Come see, man. Let, let, me, let, let me help you with this. I'm not better than you. I'm just struggling in a different area than you. Right? That, that's where it's at. Nobody has it all together. No one has it all together. And we can't fix people once we have everything together. We got to walk alongside of them in our junk, my junk, meet your junk. Right? And encourage each other out of these bondages that we're in. That's something the Pharisees did not do. They said, man, I, they were struggling. What were they outside that woman's window for? What they were doing there? They should have brought the man too. So I'm like, why were you in a woman's window? You go stand outside of a woman's window to see if the cops don't come get you. Right? But they were doing that. And I'm not saying go do that. <laughs> got to be careful nowadays. But just to say, these guys were bound up in stuff also. But if they would have recognized that they were poor in spirit, like Jesus was trying to tell them, they would have been able to receive the same mercy that the sinners received. See, born, being poor in spirit is a mindset of humility, 
of being self-aware. You know, I, I think of inspirational people. You know, I'm inspired by Christ because of his heart, of the heart of God. When I look at the word of God, I see the heart of God behind it. I look at, you know, I, I go to my, my dad because, I mean, he's, he was so inspirational in my life. And towards the last couple of months before he, he died, we were sitting under the, under the, uh, the carport. And I was just looking at my dad and I was like, man, I'm going to miss this dude. <laughs> and I said, dad, how about we go throw the football? Now, my dad had taken 80-something chemo treatments. He had neuropathy. He could barely walk after a while. He had to get a cane. But I just remember looking outside on that street, and I could see myself at all ages throwing the football with my dad. And it was during this time I said, Dad, let's go throw the football. Now, I could have been afraid that my dad would say, Kelly, you know I don't feel good. Why would you even ask me that? Now you're going to make me feel guilty if I don't do it. You know what my dad did? All right, Kel, go get the ball. And we went in the road, and we threw the ball for about 20 minutes. You know why my dad did that? Because he knew it would mean the world to me. He knew that those memories would stay deep and lodged within my soul because I knew his heart. I knew his heart, just like I know the heart of Christ. I know that he's not trying to beat me over the head and try to tell me not to sin and this and that to be mean. I see his heart. His heart is love, and he does not want me to partake in things that can destroy me. So I don't serve God out of this rule book obligation. I serve him because I love him, and I want to stay as close as possible to him. And just like my dad pushed through, because he knew it meant a lot to me, I push through the things that I go through, the things that, that, that I struggle with, because I know the heart of Christ, and I want to be in fellowship and love and be in this close community with him all the time. So we need to be inspired to move beyond our stuff and go straight into the heart of God and enjoy his presence. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about going lower. It's about serving harder. It's about loving deeper and loving in spite. But it only comes when you get the revelation of the heart of God. And that's what he wants to do. This is a thick book. I mean, you could spend all of eternity reading it because it will last for all of eternity. So you, do you not think that God is trying to speak to us? Number three, poor in spirit refuse a re fuels a repentant heart in ourselves and humility towards other. Philippians 2, 3, and 5, it says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But look what it says. But humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ. Listen, if anybody had reason or ability to, to slap some rules on you, it'd be Christ. I mean, he, he kept them all. He was perfect. He can put a standard on you and say, I don't know why you can't do this. I'd do it. I don't see why you can't walk right. I'm walking right. How old are you? I'm 33. You know? But he didn't. Instead, he knew that we couldn't. He came in our place, fulfilled the law. 
Because he knew that you and I would not be able to. So he was not prideful at all. So when you have that knowledge of what Christ did, how can it not keep you poor in spirit? How can it not keep that self-awareness knowing that, man, I know that there in, in me, there's nothing that I can bring God but in Christ. See, I want to show you the value of Christ. That's why it's not religion. It's not about what you do. It's about whose you are. It's about being in Christ. It's about everything that you do out of love and admiration for the Lord. Psalms 51, 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken or repentant heart. That means when we fall, we don't say, well, I'm a king's kid, bless God. I don't have to repent. Try that in marriage. I'm married. I ain't got to tell my wife I'm sorry. You're not going to have much of a relationship. But when you understand that Christ died for you, paid the penalty for your sin, it brings you to repentance. Even David. Remember David, it broke his heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And look at what he was capable of. But his heart was towards God. Right? So when you think about serving God, it's not about do's and don'ts. It's about let me get in to who God is, to what he requires, to what he's empowered me to do. If God gave you something to do, he's going to empower you and equip you to do it. And when you fall short... He's going to pick you up and keep going. So I, I want you to understand being poor in spirit is nothing about being poor financially or about being like a Pharisee where you do all these things. Because listen, I'm telling you, even the most godly things we can get wrapped up in doing. I mean, we, uh, I read my Bible. I don't drink, smoke, or chew or hang out with those that do. We can have all of these philosophies and mentalities and start judging people and miss the heart of God totally. And so that's what the Pharisees were doing, and that's why Jesus came and taught this. Remember, it says in Philippians 2, 3, and 5, but with humility of mind. You know what that is? With self-awareness. Have this attitude. Remember Paul. Paul, he was a bad dude, remember, before Christ. He, he, he was having Christians killed. He was dragging them into the streets. He was prideful. He said that, I was, that, I, that of all people that could boast, it'd be me. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. The, you know, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. But Paul would even, tell him, would even say to himself, in Philippians 3, 3 through 8, we rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human flesh. Though I could have confidence in my own self-effort, if anyone could. He's saying, I'm a, I did it all. But look at what he says in 1 Timothy. And this is bef quite b before his, his death. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he said, I am the worst of them all. Now, I want you to see something here. This is present tense. Paul didn't say, I used to be this. He's saying, I am the worst of all. You know what he was saying? Hey, even though I'm Paul, even though I wrote three quarters of the New Testament, I know what I'm capable of. That's what he's saying. So the same for us. When you realize what you're capable of, when I realize what I'm capable of, it throws me into mercy. 
It throws me into mercy for someone else. And I want to encourage you that with tonight if we can stand. That as we talked about being poor in spirit, we just talked about one tonight. I want to give you an opportunity. If you could say, you know what, I never even saw it that way. I just was coming to church. I was just coming because I, I was told I had to come to church. And you never made Jesus the Lord of your life. In other words, you never stopped and said, I see myself, Lord. And I see what you expect because now that I've heard the gospel and I want to come to you, I recognize that I am poor in spirit and I need you to save me. I want to see your hand tonight. You might have prayed for the, be praying this for the first time. I want to see your hand. If you can say that I am, I am poor in spirit, that I, I know that I have nothing to bring God, that I know that I have no way to please God aside from Christ, and you would say that I have never received Christ, I see your hand. And I want to give you an opportunity. Can we all pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I have sinned, that I have broken your laws, that I have lived for myself. I confess that. But I also confess that I need you to be my Lord and Master. Thank you for paying for my sin on the cross and I receive you into my life empower me to live a life pleasing to you in Jesus name I pray amen real quickly before we go if you prayed that for the first time there's a green card I just want you to fill it out and, and just bring it to the info center because we just want to know that you made that decision so we can pray for you. And then also, if you've prayed that for the first time, if you want to come up and talk to us about the decision, we also have a Bible if you don't have a Bible, and we have a free gift for you. And look, guys, I just want to thank you all for coming out tonight. I want to thank you for hearing the word of God. I just pray that it blessed you. I pray that you apply it to your life and that God's almighty power will rest on you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We love you. God bless you. Good night.